Tim Worlidge is head of strategy at McCann in Manchester, England. Before that, he was at Drogo 5 in London, where he worked on Amazon Prime Video. And um, the strategic challenge, one of the biggest ones uh, in Europe, was the same as it was in the U.S. for Amazon Prime Video, which it basically was Netflix. And Netflix has been around for a couple of decades, uh, maybe a decade or so of that. Uh, it's been doing its own original content. But prior to that, it was still a major player in the U.S., and I believe in the UK also, but I'm not sure if it was in the DVD uh, delivery, at-home delivery business, which really killed Blockbuster Video, which was the major player here in the US at that time. So Netflix has always had uh, credibility in, in the entertainment world. Amazon Prime Video did not, and that was one of their big challenges. Uh, when they began to release some of their original content, uh, that's when they undertook this initiative with uh, Droga 5. And this was the major original content. Uh, there was some content being done in different parts of the world, but this was a major initiative with some major new releases. So uh, Droga um, sort of looked at some uh, kind of shifting consumer behavioral changes, and they noticed this sort of cultural idea of what they describe as going deep. And it's this observation that in culture, uh, whether we're interested in a sport or a topic or a celebrity, that we, but we want to go deep, fast, and conven conveniently. And what that means is that if we're following a celebrity, uh, we don't only want to listen to their music. Uh, we also want to read their books. We also want to buy their merchandise. We also want to uh, watch their movies. We want to do all of this sort of content. And um, all of these activities are things you cannot do within the ecosystem of Netflix, but you can do that in the ecosystem of Amazon and that entire ecosystem of Amazon. And so this idea of, uh, of going deep as an observation of behavior was something that uh, allowed Amazon Prime Video to find its place in the broader Amazon world. But also uh, what Droga did, which was pretty brilliant, was recognize that that needed to be translated specifically for Amazon Prime Video. And they did that with the idea of watching deep. So you went from uh, go deep to watch deep. And the idea behind watch deep sort of recognized that going back as far as our childhoods, uh, we always wanted to sort of emulate our uh, superheroes. They, they made us feel like we could run faster, jump higher, that we could, that we could uh, transform ourselves. So that same observation is at play and that sort of, that, uh, that sort of behavior is at play when we're adults. And, and when we watch great television shows or great content, that we start to emulate some of the characteristics of these, of these uh, heroes within these shows. And it changes us in a way that's really interesting. So this is the conversation um, uh, around Amazon Prime Video. Uh, enjoy. Welcome, Tim. Great to have you with us today. Appreciate you uh, coming out. Hey, Fergus. It's great to be here. Yeah, we are going to talk about uh, Amazon Prime Video and this is work that you were involved with deeply uh, when you were with Droga 5 in London, and you've, you're now with McCann in Manchester. Go McCann. That's right, yeah. Yeah, and um, so excited to talk about it. It's, it's obviously a major Goliath brand as a master brand, but then it also has these uh, separate sort of, um, what would we call them, sort of certain, well, an entertainment brand, I suppose, or entertainment extension, brand extension with Amazon uh, Prime Video. So tell us a, a little bit about what was going on 
back when this all started in the category. We, you know, we've spent some time, we talked with Lucy Jameson uh, at Uncommon about the whole ITV rebrand, and she was telling us about the, the lay of the land as it relates to broadcasters. So you can bring in more, more uh, uh, specifically the lay of the land as it, as it relates to streaming services. So what was going on back then? This was maybe two or three years ago when you guys first got involved, right? Yeah, that's right. And I, I guess, um, you know, what a really interesting category more broadly, um, you know, it's kind of come out of nowhere in the last 10 years or so. And, you know, fundamentally has been dominated by one key brand, Netflix globally, um, that has kind of stolen a march in so many of the markets um, that Amazon Prime Video had been operating in. Um, and yeah, I mean, with that, uh, with that brand, um, you would go, well, Netflix is a, is a, has been born an entertainment provider and uh, Amazon had not. Amazon was, uh, Amazon Prime Video, let's say, was, was a, um, a subsidiary of a much larger kind of organization. Uh, and so with that kind of um, baggage, if you like, um, there, was a, there was a real kind of need to kind of start to think about how we could judo throw that, that scenario, that kind of dynamic in the market between Netflix and Amazon Prime Video. Because it does seem, I don't know if it was the same way in the UK, but in the US at that time, it just seemed that Amazon in its, in its quest to sell Prime as a delivery service, as you know, two-day shipping and get people to sign up and subscribe to Amazon for shipping, that, yeah. that lots of different things were being thrown into that value package. And it almost felt over here as if suddenly uh, video uh, just sort of came out of nowhere. It wasn't. It didn't seem to have a logical connection to Amazon. Yeah, that's right. And I think, and also because you know, this is like you say, was part of a suite of benefits for Prime members. It almost got lost in, you know, almost like a too good to be true kind of uh, uh, problem. You know, it was given away for free as part of that uh, subscription service. So I guess like we had like a few challenges around. Well, actually, you know, this service is. Um, uh, potentially have been, you know, arguably been devalued as a consequence of being part of this wider kind of subscription package. And I think one of the key challenges for us was how do we start to create um, its own kind of personality, its own tone, its own kind of positioning, and also start to articulate, I guess, what its relationship was to the mother brand. And, and when you talk, I love the way you talked about Netflix, that it was really born as an entertainment provider. How do you which makes total sense. How do you describe the way at that time, how was Netflix positioned and how, and what was the adoption rate of streaming at that time? Was it, was it widely uh, adopted or not? Yeah. So, I mean, so again, fascinating, right? Because um, I think it, and certainly when you dig into um, how Netflix had always thought about marketing and their brand, um, Ted Sarandos, who's kind of, um, one of their uh, lead uh, content creatives, kind of in charge of their, their you know, multi-billion-dollar uh, content budget. I think in a few interviews he talked about Netflix's uh, brand being one of personalization, where really what Netflix stood for was this idea of kind of curating your own feeds, you know, building your own uh, view of uh, entertainment and the content that you know, obviously the famed Netflix algorithms would be able to serve up to you. So I think in most markets, the way that they articulated their brand was via um, this idea of um, uh, uh, um, personalization. 
Now, interestingly, from a marketing perspective, they very rarely went out and spoke about what their brand positioning was, what their point of view on the world was as a brand. They actually used a lot of their content really to build to build their kind of presence, to build the relationship with um, with subscribers. And I think when you think back to that time, uh, it's important not to forget that Netflix had a lot of equity in the US and I assume in the UK because it, it had been in the entertainment business and competed against the blockbuster chains, blockbuster video chains with, I mean, they were the first to bring in DVDs by mail. So they, they had equity, they, ha- they already had yeah. equity when they then evolved to being a streaming service over a DVD service and they had Ex- a great value proposition. Exactly. And, they, and you know, with that equity, you know, they built a relationship with arguably people who were more invested in the categories. So, you know, people who were more um, kind of interested in keeping abreast of what the latest kind of film releases were, what the latest TV shows were, you know, the kind of entertainment junkies that, um, you know, would naturally gravitate towards those brands that were born of the category. In, you know, in our kind of case, because Amazon Prime Video wasn't born of the category, you know, I think you mentioned earlier, it was kind of born to kind of help sell a wider kind of suite of products and services under the prime um, umbrella of of, um, of of offerings. We we had that real challenge because we were, Amazon Prime Video was part of a, you know, a, a broader package, uh, you know, and brought to you by a, fundamentally a logistics company. Um, exactly, yeah. They were, the, they were so, the, the guy who shipped your, I mean, their proposition was around convenience and shipment. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they were, they were the kind of the, not the original, but they were in essence an e-commerce company at that time. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, so um, and, and I, yeah, as I say, it's like, it's a wider truth that most people uh, have relationships with the programs rather than the pipes that they came through um, or the platforms that they came through. So, so and, and because Netflix had also stolen a march on actually kind of like some real breakout hits, <clears throat> right, you know, that kind of really spurred their subscriber numbers. Prime Video hadn't quite had those like breakout cultural capital moments, if you like. I think probably like, you know, going back here, maybe five, six years, um, the Grand Tour, you know, with the Jeremy Clarkson franchise, um, you know, where they where they bought out uh, the presenters from BBC's Top Gear. And that was like, you know, uh, a big, a big financial commitment from them as a brand. And, you know, it had that desired effect. It, it got Amazon Prime Video on on the entertainment map. Um, but again, it ha- that kind of came with it a bunch of challenges that we had to overcome because um, part of our brief was to widen, um, I guess, the, the view of what Amazon Prime Video was. Let's talk about the, uh, the RFP. It comes in and, and what's the client ask? So yeah, so the pitch brief. Um, so I guess that's, I guess what we've just talked about was the broader context. The pitch brief was very much about credibility. The client team that we were working with, actually, they were charged with um, very much thinking about Prime Video, Amazon Prime Video as an entity in and of itself, and thinking about how they could build a relationship uh, with with customers, with audiences, I should say, directly. And then a byproduct of which would, of course, be those uh, Prime subscribers. But this brief, the way that they were talking about and thinking about what the role of this brief was was very much around, you know, that kind of that um, credibility piece in the world of entertainment in so doing to drive a bit of reappraisal around what Prime Video was. You know, it wasn't just part of Prime. It, it had its own um, entertainment credentials in and of itself. 
Tell us on a very granular level what you guys as a planning group did. I think planners want to hear, like, what exactly did you do to come up with a, a perspective? So I guess, I mean, most planning departments, most strategy departments have a toolkit, don't they? They have some kind of means of which they navigate a particular problem. And Drogo is no different. We have um, a, a, a tool called the five C's. Um, and the five C's is broadly, um, I, I guess, three C's that you probably most, well, everyone's probably familiar with, you know, around kind of exploring the company, what the big kind of brand truths are, what's happening in the category, you know, the norms that are ripe for breaking and consumer, like, you know, what's the, what, what the broader kind of attitudes, behaviors, dynamics um, amongst the audience you're trying to reach. The, the two other C's that Droga kind of talks to is um, culture and connections. So the culture piece is trying to identify and, and codify what those emergent cultural themes are. And then the connections piece is, you know, kind of where, so what's our kind of strategic point of view is where we think this is going to play out. Um, right. So you're trying, so you're trying to, um, and yeah, and so that would be, that, 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 that's, that's our kind of, I guess, like chapterization, if you like, like of how we would navigate the, the problem. How, sorry, how drug past tense uh, nav- would navigate the problem. And, and actually, funnily enough, it's interesting. We do, we do something very similar in the can as well. Right, right. I think most people do it. It's just packaged yeah. a little differently, right? Yeah. So um, what, what, uh, what types of things did you guys do to sort of, and then I want to turn the corner and talk about the, the framework that you came up with, the perspective you came up, or came up with. Like what, what specifically did you guys do? Did you, did you conduct some primary research? Did you do some interviews with people to sort of uh, f- shape the perspective you came up with? No, actually, I think in this, so, I mean, I guess different pitches and different timelines are different, right? I think in this instance, it was more a case of synthesizing what was already there in existence from kind of clients, documentation, um, and then, yeah, uh, um, Drogo would talk a lot about culture first, culture fast, and trying to think about, and I guess the predominant kind of view of the agency is, you know, the brands that kind of are able to positively inform a culture, the ones that kind of tend to last, um you know the uh, and that's kind of i the lens the strategically that we would um droga would respond um to these types of briefs so we kind of look at culture in the broad in the sense of what's happening within entertainment culture how are people behaving within it what's the current relationship that people have you know i think that the droga team had like demonstrated enough um strategic chops and you know creative intentions and ambition that the client was actually, yeah, these, these guys know my category. They know my, they know my audience. They've got some really interesting kind of views on where we need to go creatively. And then I think the way that Amazon work, it, they are a very, very collaborative client, um, really hands-on with the work, kind of, you know, very workshoppy type, um, type approach. Uh, they have this whole thing about the flywheel uh, within Amazon, which is about just kind of getting to, getting to answers and solutions quite quickly, testing, learning. And I think that's what we had to do as a team was, you know, kind of, okay, present this was our strategic and creative um, uh, response. And then, you know, when they realized that actually these are the people that we, we can work with and can collaborate with, that's when, you know, a lot of the thinking then kind of continued to evolve very, very collaborative. It's the, probably the most collaborative um, team uh, pitch and uh, a, yeah, I guess like creative process 
that I'd, that I'd been involved with personally. So my understanding is that the client came in with a kind of a perspective where they felt that what Amazon Prime Video was, what was like an entertaining escape, right? Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And so tell us about the, the way you guys reacted to that and then what you did in order to get to uh, go deep, the strategic idea. They had kind of, yeah, pulled together um, some research which basically outlined some of like the big kind of like category truths and benefits of why people kind of love you know, uh, entertainment and what, what um, entertainment and live, ent- uh, sorry, uh, streaming entertainment brings to their lives. And we definitely believe that, you know, escapism as a, is a truth. You know, that is why people uh, watch telly, you know, is to kind of, um, uh, kind of alleviate them, you know, and, and uh, escape from the grind. Um, but I guess our view was that we needed something a little bit more distinctive we just felt that actually the idea of escapism had been relatively well trodden by other players in the category, some broadcasters and streamers. This idea of like, well, how do we kind of talk about escapism in a really interesting and yeah, um, uh, distinctive way? I'm curious to hear about the strategic idea. You guys came up with this idea of go deep. And I'm wondering, was that rooted in some sort of behavior, consumer behavior or cultural behavior that you recognized? Yeah, yeah. So it's the idea of like watch deep. That this kind of like big kind of view on the world where, um, and we and we believed it was a truth outside of the category as well. So whatever the culture, we were tending to consume it much more actively now than perhaps passively. So you know when we travel, when we go travelling, we don't just kind of go on holiday, sit back, kind of enjoy the view, and and you know and come home we go on holiday we create the spotify playlist for the plane trip you know which is usually themed around the around the place that we're going to we research the hell out of the local restaurants before we even get there you know in sport we don't just tune in for the 90 minutes we follow the players every move in social we we you know we might kind of uh, 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 borrow their diets etc or the parody accounts you know that we what we were observing was that we were across all our kind of leisure moments, we were able to, to really go deep. And, and that was definitely true of the TV category as well. So in the world that Amazon were operating in, um, you know, we weren't just watching the TV show, the film franchise, um, and then kind of, you know, going back to our normal lives. We were uh, shopping the look, you know, uh, we were listening to the soundtrack, um, kind of, exploring the original comic books gorging on like you know the fav- you know the, the star performers other shows via the imdb um offering we had like a, an opportunity i think to kind of talk much more um readily about what the what was happening in the category and that we weren't just spending time with the tv show we were kind of really unpacking and exploring and deepening like our our kind of associations with with each of these um franchises I love that because it, it sort of, it, it lets the client and it, it lets maybe the ultimately the consumer uh, understand the role of Amazon in this entire proposition. So when you talk about go deep, that idea that cult, in culture, while we're, we're gathering information, as you said, you're, you're looking for music, you're looking for reviews, you're looking for entertainment, you're shopping, you're looking at products, you're looking at sort of uh, fanboy stuff that sort of behavior can happen uh, in the entire platform of Amazon where it cannot yeah. happen anywhere else. 
Well, and this is the interesting thing. So a lot of our, yeah, a lot of our kind of initial view on the work was, well, this is this is a really distinctive um, space for you guys, Amazon Prime Video, because, you know, this is, um, uh, you know, something that Netflix can't talk about, right? You know, you guys are kind of connected to this ecosystem of, of other ways into um, the uh, the entertainment properties that are on your um, that are on your platform, and um, so we thought that was actually like a really kind of interesting way of differentiating between what Netflix were doing and what Amazon Prime Video could do. And I, I referenced earlier, you know, the IMDb kind of um, point of difference. You know, it's a bit of tech, really. It's a bit of um, you know linking the, um, uh, the the stars IMDb. Uh, kind of uh, back catalogue to to um, in, into the platform. We thought, oh, that's, you know, that's a really interesting um, bit of uh, UX that doesn't exist on um, on Netflix. The strategic idea of go deep, which we've just talked about, when it went to creative, the creative idea was watch deep, and, and so with the idea being that what happens to us when we do that. So it's the kind of what happens when we binge watch. What happens when we when we uh, get into great content and what impact it has on it. So it's that idea of, can you explain to us what was behind the idea of watch deep? Well, I guess, you know, the best, and the best creatives always do this, don't they? They always kind of, always think of things that you haven't thought of and then hopefully kind of improve and build on, you know, your your strategy. Um, and, and I think this is, you know, what what the guys did. They kind of go, okay, that's that's really interesting. Uh, we we believe you. We think that what you've kind of um, articulated and shared kind of feels very truthful and feels very um, uh, kind of prescient of the, of of the moment and culturally relevant. Um, but what hap- But let's kind of explore. Well, what happens? What's the impact of this on on our behaviour when we do watch deep? And I think that's where the where then this idea of transformation then came in. Because what they what the teams observed was well okay when you do when you do kind of like fully immerse yourself um, in in whatever you're watching um, you end up um, uh, being transformed whether kind of consciously or subconsciously um, and in lots of different ways in, in ways that you perhaps hadn't necessarily um, uh, I thought would affect you and that's what um, and that's where this idea of great show stay with you came from the line that, which we used was all about kind of, um, and, I, and I guess it is a category insight, but it was about saying, um, you know, some of the best shows always leave their mark and they show up in really interesting, unusual ways. And that's what the, the creative then went on to, um, to show. We had, uh, in the first round of work, we had four shows um, that, were, that made up uh, the campaign. And then you, you saw across each of the shows how our kind of protagonists, the people who are watching Amazon Prime Video changed or their, their behavior was altered as a result of um, uh, spending time with the show. We showed people um, slowly, I guess, changing and altering their behaviors as, as um, the, the deeper into the show that they got. And so we had, for example, a um, uh, for Vikings, so Vikings was probably my favourite one. Yeah. And I, had, I, I still haven't seen the show. I still haven't seen the show actually. But um, <laughs> but Vikings is um, uh, we had a a, a female protagonist um, who was an office worker, kind of whose voice hadn't, who's kind of was relatively meek kind of um, persona, whose voice wasn't being heard. And then as the, the further into Vikings she got, the more kind of 
um, hate to use the word empowered, but she kind of felt she, 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 her confidence grew, um, her sense of empowerment grew, and then it culminates in her kind of losing her, um, her shit with somebody who nicks her, her mug. With that particular um, spot, we were kind of, I guess, fortuitous in that that, st- that that ad broke in and around the same time as a lot of the Harvey Weinstein stories were emerging and the growth of the Me Too movement. So it was a complete accident but it, it it just it just hit a hit a nerve and it really kind of caught on probably more so than we um, had anticipated. Outlander um, was great too. I mean, Outlander with the idea being that this it starts off with this. Um, we see a couple that are aren't uh, really connected. They kind of they're they're uh, sort of uh, yeah benign uh, co living <laughs> benign co co living. So they're just yeah, sort of chilling. Yeah. They watch TV and they're just kind of sitting there, almost in different worlds, but on the same sofa. And then yeah. as they begin to watch the show, Outlander, uh, for the first episode one, you see episode two, they start holding hands. Episode three, they start kissing. But it, but the character that they connect with, an Outlander, uh, ends up influencing and deepening their relationship and their passion for each other. Super yeah. fun. I mean, really, and they end up they end up in a some a bathroom in a uh, public park. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And and it was again, it's interesting that like. Everyone has their own favourites in this campaign because I think that the, some of the characters and the transformations talk to different people. You know, we had a Jack Ryan spot. So Jack Ryan is, um, again, another um, Amazon original. Um, it just launched in the UK alongside. So a lot of the um, uh, promotional material was in market at the same time. And we had like a, a dad who kind of felt kind of like a bit washed up, kind of feeling like he'd lost his place in the family and all of a sudden becoming this kind of like cool um you know kind of hero figure in um in his in his family's eyes again that talked to a different constituency of people in a different in a different way um we had a lucifer spot you know which was all about this again this kind of um this teenage guy kind of relatively shy invisible angsty type chap who all of a sudden over the period of watching this show becomes this confident rule breaker so you know you get <laughs> yeah. we had like these different um transformations and i think you know people were um again the, the tone of these um executions was i think you know you could argue is maybe a bit of an overclaim as to the impact of what great shows can have on you but i think they were the way in which we delivered them i think people kind of took them in the spirit that they were intended yeah i think it's definitely a human truth in it uh fr- from the time you're a child to the to when you become an adult where you do start to uh, sort of connect or aspire to connect with some of the characteristics of a great character on a TV show. So great shows uh, stay with you was the line. I wanted to go back to the strategic idea versus the creative idea because I, I wanted to have you talk about a go deep, which was this sort of recognition that there was a set of, of human or uh, human behaviors that was were happening in culture. And so you guys label that as go deep. Um, well, yeah. At that stage, was there a recognition or were you guys aware and planning that this other observation, which is the fact that, 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 um, that we sort of become the characters that we connect with on shows, was that part of the strategic idea or was that, was that in further discussion with creatives when the idea of watch deep came up versus go deep? Yeah, Watch Deep was the, I guess, the strategy um, at, at pitch as well, and 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 still we um, talked about Watch Deep as the as an organising kind of principle for the brand, 
And then the idea and this truth of um, how we transform when we watch deep was the, uh, the, the campaign articulation. You know, the first thing that we'd want to say off this, off this uh, positioning. So help me understand, um, watch, our, our watch deep to me, that same idea could be replicated for Netflix. It doesn't seem to have an original um, connection to Amazon in the campaign. Is that fair to say that it really, at the end of the day, it's about, it's, it's a great way to, um, and a unique way of presenting great content through a phenomenal consumer truth. But it's not a positioning thing, right? Because it, it could be, it could be duplicated by Netflix, no? Well, the, I, I think the way that we express watch deeply strategically was underpinned by the relationship that, the Amazon Prime Video product had with the rest of the Amazon ecosystem. So you know it, what you know. Um, if you if you take up Amazon Prime Video as part of a Prime membership, you have access to the um, the playlist. You have the, the music playlist. You have access to the IMDb um, catalog. You have access to uh, you know a huge shopping platform, which enables you to. Um, you know, be inspired to you know cook the recipes from the show. You know, do you know what I mean? So that yeah. so we were we so we we did think that this was something that Amazon couldn't necessarily hinge its brand around, um, because you know they 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 weren't um, fulfilling that uh, and satisfying that kind of that idea of um, uh, deepening your relationship with entertainment franchises and properties programs in the same way that Amazon Prime Video could. So does that mean that there were either additional components to this campaign or there might be in the future where that broader relationship of, of uh, the broader mothership playing into this might come, come into play? Because that's not, that's not in the campaign so far, is it? Or has no, it? it's not. It's not in the campaign. No, the, the, it's, and that, that was always, I guess, as we, uh, as we were thinking about the, the, the brand more broadly that was the ambition and i think you know i'm not at drogue anymore as I, I believe that still be the is the ambition is to kind of show how and be able to articulate how this uh, brand positioning could then relate to different um to different parts of uh, the amazon uh world so looking back on this um tim what do you what do you feel you learned that uh from this particular brand assignment that either frustrated you or surprised you or challenged you was there were there anything that's kind of uh stuck out for you as being unique to what this experience was like um well i guess like one of the so in terms of a ways of working like the 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 client team and the droga team incredibly collaborative and and it was really i think i touched on it earlier like really refreshing to see you know a a tech giant a tech business kind of embrace you know, this idea of, um, you know, I guess what uh, Byron Sharp would call, you know, kind of meaningless distinction, you know, where you've actually really hinging your whole kind of campaign around a kind of a broader kind of point of view. Um, so that was really, that was really kind of satisfying and we, you know, and, and really encouraging to see them embrace, you know, the idea of, of an idea that lent more into a into a cultural phenomenon rather than kind of being anchored in a in a product RTB. Um, and so yeah, so don't always, I guess, judge a book by its cover when you're when you're pitching. <laughs> yeah, that's the truth. No one in the industry has kind of really done this because usually most people in the industry would have 
you know, to promote a show, you would have um, a promo, you know, a trailer, clip-based promo, and some key art, you know, kind of usually straight from the set of the, you know, as, as you're shooting with the stars. And what we were doing was something quite different, right? Um, and our, our view was that we would be able to kind of further enhance, um, you know, the, the, the saleability of, of, of the programming if we ran, you know, this, this campaign alongside it. Because what we were showing was, you know, this, this, broad, a, you know, this broader kind of cultural capital kind of truth around how, um, how great shows stay with you. And then B, we felt, uh, and we didn't have the data to prove this, but the whole category has an issue around attribution. Um, because as I say, you know, you're kind of dealing in clip-based promos and key art. And so you don't really, so many brands don't really have a, uh, or, or sorry, platform brands and broadcaster brands. They might not have a look and feel per se for their broader brand. They have to rely on the tone of the individual programs they're selling. So we felt like running this campaign alongside, um, you know, some of that more traditional promo work um, and, and, and individual um, program campaigning with, you know, the appointment to view message actually would help A, drive more interest in the show and B, drive greater attribution as well. Yeah, and it's also important to point out that that I think a lot of times we think about uh, top-down in terms of mothership brand um, having a halo effect over its sub-brands or its product brands or service brands. But I think the reverse happened here. I think what you guys have also done is created uh, a campaign and a, and a, and a, uh, a proposition around around uh, Amazon Prime Video that actually goes from the bottom up. I think it sort of has a, an, an upward halo impact on the Amazon mothership. Was that, was that part of what you needed to think through? Is, was there sort of that idea that there obviously didn't want it to have a negative impact, but you're ultimately building the Amazon brand itself because you can't buy Prime without, you can't buy Amazon Prime Video without having a Prime membership. Exactly, yeah. And, and we, yeah, so I think we, I guess we, this campaign, and, you know, fundamentally for, by Amazon entering the entertainment market um, and the entertainment provision market, it, you know, we were trying to soften the edges of, you know, that, that, that logistics and delivery business um, and, and all the semiotics that go with that. We wanted to try to show a bit more of a, an emotional um, and an entertaining um, uh, part, of, part of this uh, kind of huge uh, logistics business. And, I, and, you know, I think if we'd have started with, okay, um, we're a logistics business now doing entertainment, and we'd, we'd kind of anchored that in as our, you know, focal point for a brief, we would have got a very different creative workout, um, for sure. And I think by the client team kind of liberating us from having to, to think about that, um, that relationship or express that relationship in the strategy and the creative work, we got to a very different place. It used to be pretty clear what the distinctions were, but now there's a lot of original content on Hulu. There's a lot of content that's been pulled off of Hulu for Disney+. Plus. There's a lot of content that's original content now being created by Apple. So uh, I, I think those distinctions are a lot less clear than they were a couple of, a couple of years ago. And I think that I think 12 months from now, particularly given what's happening with Disney pulling its content off of Hulu, because I think Disney owns a majority of Hulu now, that who knows what, what Hulu is going to end up being. Um, but it's really I mean, interesting space. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, that, I, I think that's so true that the, um, the the content portfolios of all these platforms now is 
has never been more in a state of flux. Um, so again, you know, there's a big kind of, you know, strategic imperative, if you like, for a lot of these entertainment brands, these, these platforms who are repositories of, of content as well as creators of content to be thinking about how they, um, how they talk about themselves rather than just being reliant on the relationships that people have with their program brands. Um, and, and I love the way that, and I don't know what your, your thoughts are on this, just as an observer of all this, the, the whole, the whole uh, concept of binge watching um, that was initiated by Netflix, and I think House of Cards was the first time that was done, is that sustainable? I mean, <laughs> in, in reality, is that sustainable? Or are we going to see this sort of evolution back to episodic releases on a weekly basis, more like, uh, more like, um, some shows have been doing it more recently. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because um, I mean, over here in the UK, there, there are some, there are instances where the scheduling of and the release of the shows has actually been, um, you know, old school, linear, you know, weekly drops at a certain time, <laughs> um, and, uh, and 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 people are, um, you know, kind of essentially kind of slaves to the schedule as ever they were before before streaming came in. Um, I think it depends. My my personal view is I think it depends on the type of show um, that you're that you're talking about. There are some shows, and I, uh, where the showrunner will be writing um, a narrative, uh, a storyline, which actually you know you get really frustrated if you're. Um, if you get the if if the first show drops and then you've got another week for the uh, for the second sh- second show to be released, yeah, because it's it's interesting to me because I look at I think about the financials of it all, the background of it all, and and sustainability of it all in terms of like for example, they just released the uh, the the new season of Ozark on Netflix, great show, yeah, and so my wife and I sit down and we've pretty much consumed the whole thing in three nights, <laughs> you know, <laughs> less than a week. Right. And now I got to wait 51 weeks for this stuff to come back. Now, yeah. uh, the other spin is I look at uh, handmaid's tale. So handmaid's tale, which is on Hulu is a show that is episodic in terms of it's released once every week. Now the ultimate question becomes, is the experience of watching handmaid's tale over eight weeks different than watching Ozark consumed in three days. And if it isn't that different, um, what is the point of doing it from a business point of view when you are doing, you are, you are just investing a massive amount of money and content that yeah. uh, you may not need to be doing. And people, there's so much great stuff out there. It's impossible to keep up with it. And in fact, it's sort of frustrating because you're now trying to, you feel you're missing out on something. Uh, because you just can't get to it all. And I, I got to think as creators of content also, there's got to be this massive frustration that shows but, that could have been brilliant shows are getting, uh, are getting removed off platforms because they're not getting eyeballs. So I, de- I definitely think what you're talking about um, actually becomes a very interesting marketing problem. Um, because, you know, if you think about it in the macro sense, you know, I think Netflix's reputed... Uh, uh, budget was nine nine billion dollars last year yeah. and you go that, i mean that's a lot of that is a lot of content and that's just for one that's just for one uh, uh streaming platform so what you end up with is um uh, platforms dropping shows dropping them all at once 
and then essentially you're, you're inviting um, audiences into a very kind of short, sharp marketing window to be aware of Ozark dropping again and then consuming it all at once before the next thing comes comes along. Yeah, and I th- and I think what broadcasters, traditional broadcasters, they, I mean, it was obviously they were doing this by accident by virtue of they only had like a limited number of slots to fill a schedule with, but then the the time between the release of each episode of a show actually kind of created natural marketing moments for people to talk about the show and build and look forward to the, the next in, installment. Um, and the natural kind of like release window of like, let's say a, a weekly release window of a show was, was a, was it, was it, yeah, a, a moment for us all to breathe, kind of uh, enjoy and fester almost in what we've just watched and then look forward, you know, halfway through the week to the next um, to the next episode. And when you trunc- truncate that process, you're actually kind of um, really losing out on uh, on a big marketing opportunity as well. If you think about it, there's a guy called Grant McCracken who's an anthropologist, and he talks a lot about yes, um, yes. Uh, like shared cultural commonality. Um, and essentially, that's what broadcasters have always been able to do, right? Because there was a you know finite kind of number of uh, stations back in the day and there was a finite number of prime time slots um to kind of drop your drop your content and you know the 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 it was really a big portion of the appeal of uh, those shows was the idea that you knew other people were watching the same thing and and when you think about it, i think you mentioned earlier that the the netflix annual investment in original content was 9 billion dollars that is not sustainable and so there has to be a point, but that's just one platform doing that. And um, so there's going to have to be, I think, a shift in in decisions around content creation. And it, there's going to have to become different ways of everybody thinking about it because nobody's going to make any money. And that's Agreed. And, and everybody is coming up with new platforms. And I think what you're going to see, as you see in the UK too, with ITV as its own player, BBC as its own player, a, a lot of original content creators and I think it's most evident recently in the U.S. with um, with Disney Plus uh, is the idea that they're now beginning to create moats around their own content. The studios used to share them. That was always the strange thing about Hulu because it was owned by uh, three different uh, broadcasters were, were were providing their content to it, and, uh, and Disney was one of them. ABC being part of Disney, NBC. Uh, national broadcaster over here was was providing it. CBS was providing content, I believe. Yeah, a, a, yeah. And, but everybody was throwing in there. It was like it was an experiment. And uh, yeah. now they're all pulling it out and doing their own platforms. And yeah. uh, and so obviously we're all going to have to subscribe to all of these platforms, which is going to equate to um, the high cost of what it used to be that we were trying to escape, which was cable television subscriptions. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. we're ending up yeah, the same place <laughs> yeah i think i think you know one people will get more uh choiceful right as we have to kind of you know as the marketplace becomes more competitive wasn't ever thus right you know i think that's going to happen with in in this world but secondly there's a there's a secondary audience here which is the um the actual um people in the industry the showrunners the talent off screen and on on screen talent who are going to become more choiceful about um where um, and who they collaborate with. Um, yeah. So, so again, you know, rather than just perhaps take all the, the the money and the creative freedom 
that uh, you know that a lot of these platforms were were offering you know big name showrunners. Um, actually, there, there may we may see a return to um, a more collaborative uh, creative process where again you know the likes of HBO, this side of Atlantic, and your side have been incredibly successful in in um, building long-term partnerships with um on and off screen talent to, to kind of fuel their brand and that kind of and then that that serves and creates the next wave of um of talent who want to work with them so again i, I think there's um, there's some really interesting dynamics that are kind of growing in, in this market um and it, yeah it's kind of all to play for which is really exciting yeah so maybe uh, maybe there's maybe maybe um mccann in manchester will end up uh, getting netflix off of your experience with amazon <laughs> we'll see, we'll see. <laughs> Tim Worlidge, head of strategy for McCann in Manchester, England. Thanks for joining us today. Brilliant. My pleasure. Thanks so much. We'll see everybody in the next episode.